This is the LA Sports Roundtable. This is the HAF. With me is the Toyanator, Matt Montoya. All of the teams in Boston should just be renamed the T-Daz, dear guy. We're here podcasting the LA Sports Roundtable to you from our T1 studios. Here at the Roundtable, we talk LA sports. We want change. We ask for change in our communities. And we want the people in our communities to know if we want change, we have to make it ourselves. You know, walk the walk. We can't just do the talk. To those of you who listen, thank you. And please give us a shout out and a follow on Twitter and Instagram at LA Sports RT1. In this episode, Montoya and I discuss recent gameplay of the Rams, Raiders, and Chargers, NBA offseason moves, and Cooper Cup and Robert Woods of the Rams in our Who's Better segment because we compare to LA players, and we decide who's better. Montoya, despite the fact that players have been going down like flies with the virus, there has still been football. With the NFL playoffs finally within sight, it seems like the Rams and Raiders have a good chance to make the playoffs. Your Broncos aren't mathematically eliminated from playoff contention yet. They aren't at the bottom of the AC West. Anthony Lynn has done that by being head coach of the Chargers. What's interesting is that the Chargers finally pulled off a win without giving it away to their opponent. I wonder if playing the hapless New York Jets had anything to do with that. Also, the boy genius Sean McVay continues to impress with his coaching abilities by pulling off a win against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers despite 
playing against Tommy Cheetah. The Raiders weren't able to do a celebration lap in their bus around their stadium that looks like a Roomba vacuum in sub-block Vegas when they played the Chiefs again. So, was their win against the Chiefs a fluke due to them always losing to the Chiefs? One thing is certain. Even with a mask on, John Gruden with his bull haircut, he and his family all sport, still looks like Chucky from Child's Play. Montoya, with the Rams defeating Tommy Cheetah and the Fucks, what do you think about the performance of the wide receiver play of the Rams? I like the wide receiver play of the Rams. You look at Cooper Cup, you look at Robert Woods, they both scored. Um, I definitely feel if you're going to compare the two, it's hard to figure out who's the number one and who's not. But I, I definitely believe there's some criteria that would allow you to separate those two if you're interested in hearing it. Absolutely. I think if you're looking for the deep ball, the Antonio Brown play, that is Robert Woods. Woods is a speedster. He's got the ability to go deep. He's got the ability to get you something 15 yards or more, but he is not as consistent as Cooper Cup is in terms of getting that short, three-yard pass and turning it into something big, as you saw that he did in this game. If you look at his yards after catching this game, it was amazing. Um, however, if it comes to just being the sure-handed possession receiver, you can toss it to him, and you're pretty sure he's going to catch it if it's catchable. And he will uh, have a high probability of turning it into something big. That's Cooper Cup. He's your Mr. Reliable. Robert Woods is your deep threat. You know, the, the thing you say about Robert Woods being a deep threat, I agree with. And I think he's proved that within the last couple of years. Um, however, I don't see Jared Goff and the Rams trying to make the deep play as much this year as in years past. And I really think they should do that. They did try, uh, uh, you know, a couple deep bombs a couple times in this game against the Buccaneers. However, uh, they were not too successful. Um, and I wonder if that has anything to do with losing Brandon Cooks because he was maybe their decoy last year since he wasn't really doing um, what he was usually supposed to be doing, being that speedster deep threat. Cooper Cup, completely agree with you about him turning those plays into something, especially when you said yards after catch. Uh, you know, you see uh, Cooper Cup get these receptions and do these good moves to always get something more. And I think that is really his talent. I'm going to agree with you on that. Um, it's just his consistency. He seems to be a little more consistent with his routes. He seems to be a little more on the same page with Goff. Um, I don't know if you see it the same way. You're the Rams fan. I'm not, but... You and I have gone to a few games together, um, and you and I have you know, been discussing L.A. sports, including the Rams, for quite some time. And I try to catch as many Rams games as I can. I just feel like he's the more consistent route runner. He's the guy who's more meticulous, and that's why he's more reliable in short yardage and has the ability to also be a medium to not as long as, Rod, as Woods, but a, still a long-range threat. Yes, and that's partly because of his 
speed. He doesn't have the speed as Robert Woods and definitely is the former brand, uh, Rams Brandon Cooks uh, receiver who's on the Texans this year. And um, But they did get a touchdown out of their draft pick, Van Jefferson, who they drafted with the draft pick they got from the Texans for the trade of Brandon Cooks. And that was his first touchdown ever. And that was his only reception of the game was a one-year or uh, a seven-yard touchdown for his first touchdown of his career. So I'm wondering if Van Jefferson out of uh, Florida can turn into something like they wanted with Brandon Cooks, but Brandon Cooks had his concussion problems like we talked about in our first podcast when he was traded to the Texans. Um, But with Cooper Cup, you know what they've said, even when he was drafted, that he's an excellent route runner. And it sort of reminds me, you know, of uh, Steve Largent from back in the day. And that's not just because he's white like Largent. (laughs) <laughs> well, being a Broncos fan, um, the sea chickens, as I like to call them, were in the AFC West during the Largent years. So I will agree with you to an extent in that he is Largent-like. Um, however, Largent really had to carry that team along with Dave Craig to the limited success that they had, whereas Cup has a little bit more of a surrounding cast with him than uh, Largent did. So that's the disclaimer that I'll give between the two. Oh, absolutely. No, the Seahawks sucked back in the day. And you're talking Dave Craig was their quarterback. That says a lot right there versus them having Russell Wilson now. But, oh, 100% uh, agree. Yeah. So there was some great play with the Rams receivers in the game versus the Buccaneers. However, you know what <laughs> has been going along or going on with the Rams all season long is uh, penalties. Now, one thing I want to ask you about specifically is pass interference, Montoya. Do the Rams have a target on them since the NFC Championship game in 2018 versus the Saints with the amount of pass interference penalties that's been called on them? They've had 11 PI penalties thus far this year. The Chargers have had nine. The Raiders have had five. The Broncos have had nine. What do you think about that? I think that the league is just calling games differently. Um, as much as I would not, as much as I do not want to admit it, I definitely think that they are um, calling things tighter. They're calling it more aggressively, and um, it's unfortunate because I like seeing the players being able to go at it, go against each other, and make it happen. But it just doesn't seem like the league really wants to go that route anymore. Um, I don't know if they're worried about uh, people getting hurt or concussions or something else, but it just really seems like no matter what's going on, if the defender looks at the receiver wrong at the line of scrimmage before the snap, it's an automatic PI penalty. And I just think that ever since that NFC championship game in 2018 versus the saints, when Nikel Roby Coleman got away with one that there's a target on the Rams. I mean, 11 PI penalties versus like nine for the chargers, five for the Raiders, nine for the Broncos. Um, And then some teams don't have many PI penalties at all. I don't know. I think it's sort of like telltale sign that they're maybe just want to make sure that there's no backlash 
for the Rams that they're not favoring them like uh, people were saying after that NFC Championship game in 2018. Well, you know, there's a there's a lot of different things that can be said about something like that. Um, the Raiders can say that the the Tom Brady has still been uh, favored all the time due to the tuck rule. And there's some validity to that. Cause I mean, that guy does cry worse than my three-year-old, but um, Tommy cheater also has a lot of cheating on his, you know, to, to back that up. And you don't see a team who has a reputation like new England and Tom Brady consistently getting called for penalties because they've been caught cheating. So I, I I see what you're saying, and I see that it embarrassed the refs. I just don't know that if the Patriots can get away with cheating as many times as they have, that the refs are going to take it as, pers- as personal as it might appear that they are um, in terms of punishing the Rams. I just think they're up league-wide, and that's something that uh, we should both look into. Yeah, true. And star power with Tom Brady still has a lot to do with it. Uh, he has always complained, he does, you know, but it seems like when he was touched in the game on Monday Night Football, he wasn't yelling like as much he, as he has in years past. Did you notice that? I did notice that. Um, I think he's kind of used up his credibility with that, though, and it just goes back to the whole thing of things that used to work in the past are no longer appearing to work with the refs. It's like the refs are basically saying, F you, I've got just as many problems as you do. Get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, and uh, Tom Brady seemed to have been disrupted by the Rams' defense, and especially with the secondary. So what do you think of the Rams' secondary with Jalen Ramsey, oh. Darius Williams, who's had some interceptions this year, John Johnson and Jordan Fuller, who is also like Tom Brady, a 199th pick in the seventh round who picked Tommy Cheetah off twice on Monday night football. It goes to show that Tom Brady due to the lack of an off season doesn't have the rapport that he had with some of the more seasoned um, receivers in new England. And let's, Let's be honest, with the way that the cheaters were always cheating, who's to say that they weren't getting extra practice time in um, with everything else? Um, So to add into that, um, I just think that nobody is really up to par because of the fact that there has not been an offseason and nobody can really get up to where they were. Mm -hmm. Well, I have one... Actually, I have one more, one more thing I'd like to add to that. If we take a look at not just this game, but pretty much every game across the NFL, and this is my opinion, I feel like penalties are up super high. And I'd like to ask you the question, because we touched on this just seconds ago. Do you feel that the, that the penalties, especially on the defensive side, are due to a lack of practice or just being undisciplined due to you know, things being out of whack because of COVID. Well, I think everything is out of whack this year. You can, you can say that across the board and with offense and defense, and maybe that has something to do with uh, Jared Goff and some of his gaffes this year. That seems to be a little bit perpetual. Uh, 
in regards to like delay of games and um, you know when he gets uh, rattled a little bit, he seems to lose his rhythm. But uh, I definitely agree with you with the amount of uh, practices that have been canceled, virtual meetings, um, a lack of uh, an off season and OTAs and all that. I think it definitely has something to do with it. And and with you, when you have all these practices that have been canceled league wide, it will definitely impact the uh, consistency in the how these players are in sync, especially like wide receivers and their quarterbacks. And if anything, maybe that's why you see some of these defenses doing a little bit better than some of these offenses because of um, it's you know probably harder to be in sync. You know, with offense, you need to have more time together and more reps together. There's truth to that, and there's and there's a little bit that I'll disagree with you on. And what I mean by that is, what's the team within the team that needs the most time together to truly gel? And I'm not going to make you wait very long. It's the offensive line. And let's compare the Broncos last year, specifically number 72, Garrett Bowles, to this year and number 72, Garrett Bowles. Last year, the Broncos' offensive line was considered one of the worst in football, and Garrett Bowles was easily the most flagged player in the league. Now, the Broncos' offensive line hasn't become suddenly one of the best, but they are not ranked at the bottom of the league anymore, and even Garrett Bowles has been ranked within the top 10 of all offensive guards all season. Well, it's a different season and he could have had a chance to improve just like it's a different season for Andrew Whitworth, who's one more year older and who just went on IR last week, who didn't play in this Monday night football game. They had to throw in uh, Joe Noteboom to protect Goff's blind side at left tackle. So, and also, if you have your guys playing good, then the quarterback is that much more confident. And maybe Tommy Cheetah is – that's another thing. New surroundings, new wide receivers, and a new offensive line. Maybe that's why he was a little inconsistent on Monday night. But I'm thinking a lot of that had to do with the Rams defense because I do think they are one of the best defenses. And their power rankings have um, – uh, increased since the season started. And I think they may have found a diamond in the rough with this Jordan Fuller, who, like Tom Brady, was the 199th pick, seventh round pick, but Jordan Fuller was picked 20 years later this year in the 2020 draft. He picked up uh, two interceptions off Tommy Cheetah. And you have Jalen Ramsey. They're saying, oh, he's the lockdown corner. And then teams are throwing at Darius Williams because. Uh, He's opposite of Ramsey, and um, and when the Rams won against the Seahawks, uh, Metcalf barely had any targets from Russell Wilson because Ramsey was on him the whole game. And the linebacker play, like we've been talking about for the Rams needing uh, to improve, I think has improved tremendously with the addition of Leonard Floyd, with Samson Ebukam being more experienced who got a sack off of Tommy Cheetah. Okay. So, but, um, you know, but 
talking about Jared Goff, why do you think he's had five delay of game calls this year? Are you with me, Montoya? Test, 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 test. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Um, sorry about that. It appears to me that in the case of Goff, he he has poor clock management skills. Um, it's it's not like it's his rookie year. The guy's played all the way up to um, the Super Bowl. To have as many uh, clock issues as he's had, at least in this game, I don't know what's going on with him mentally, but I definitely think think something is off. And this one, I think, can be attributed to all of the changes due to lack of practices and or, you know, players missing from the lineup due to COVID. And at the same time, I just don't think he has the uh, reading skills like Peyton Manning had to make these audibles, you know, at the line of scrimmage. Because uh, once that... That uh, that clock hits 15 seconds. The helmet um, earphone shuts off. Shuts off, and uh, he can't have McVeigh telling him what to do anymore. And he sees the he sees something in the defense. He's trying to decide what to do uh, to make an audible or not or whatever. Sometimes McVeigh calls has to waste a timeout. And other times it just uh, time runs out and they get a delay, delay a game call. So I think that has to deal with uh, Jared Goff's growth into from a good quarterback, a highly rated number one pick quarterback to like a legendary status quarterback like Peyton Manning, who made it like audibles, like an art at the line of scrimmage. Well, you're also comparing apples and oranges. And what I mean by that is um, it, Peyton Manning grew up with a Hall of Fame quarterback as a father. I mean, he was a guy who was very highly drafted by the Saints. He pretty much lived, eat, and ate and slept um, NFL football. So Peyton Manning is an anomaly that we will not see again until we see Cooper um, Manning's son in the NFL um, that kid looks to be the part of Peyton and more. He seems to have a better arm and more control. So, but I, on the flip side of that, I also believe that you are correct. And I'm going to use an example of um, there's an offensive lineman who used to play for the Broncos and the chargers named Orlando Franklin. And he does a talk show in Denver with uh, Sandy Clef. And one of the things that he talked about was Tim Tebow couldn't read anything at the line. So him and another offensive lineman would have to make the read on the offense and either give him a yes or a no. If they said yes, the play that Tim called in the huddle was going to work. If they said no, then Tim had to audible to the secondary play. And Tim couldn't handle more than two plays. So, you know, it was one or the other that they had to go to. And while I definitely think Goff is smarter than Tebow, I think there's some validity to what you're saying based off of these stories from Orlando Franklin and maybe having someone such as, uh, well, Andrew Whitworth isn't there anymore, 
But having one of the more seasoned offensive linemen, preferably the center or someone close to the center, assisting Goff with these reads might be something that could help minimize some of these uh, penalties. You bring up a good point there because in 2018, when the Rams made Super Bowl 53, they had seasoned veteran John Sullivan at center who had a good reputation at reading the defense at the line of scrimmage. And last year was very bad year for the offensive line because they started out with uh, Brian Allen, who was a late pick, uh, undersized center who's not even playing. And then they had he went out and they moved Austin Blythe over to be center. So who's had experience at uh, guard and center and who's the full-time center this year. So I totally agree with you there. And I think um, I would have expected with uh, this is what Goff's fifth season that those growing pains would have been behind him. But unfortunately they're obviously not. And when he seems to uh, have those like uh, problems at the line, it can thwart his whole game as we've seen with the losses the Rams had even losing to the Miami Dolphins. So, um, but another bright side in Monday Night Football featured two CSU Pueblo alumni from your native Colorado in Morgan Fox and Ryan Jensen. Morgan Fox of the Rams, Ryan Jensen of the Bucks. At uh, you know, um, he's an offensive lineman. Morgan Fox is a defensive lineman. And I want to ask you, since you're from Colorado, and um, how do you how did each player impact the game? And did you see Fox's disruption of Tommy Cheetah's pass on third down by grabbing his arm and forcing a fourth down? I did see that play. Of course, go Foxy. Um, as you know, I'm a big fan of Morgan Fox. I'm also a big fan of Ryan Jensen, um, have, with both of them having played in my hometown and won a na- Division II national championship. But um, – the, I, I really would like would have liked to have heard from the players how going up against your college teammate, um, especially when the odds are so against both of you to even be here at all, let alone with uh, Ryan Jensen getting the rich, rich contract that he got a couple of years ago before Tommy Cheetah came over, um, to just be in such a... Uh, a different situation to be successful against all the odds is just amazing. And uh, I'm happy to see these two kids thriving, but Foxy let's go brother. Um, You had a great play against uh, Tommy Cheetah, but I want to see you getting a Ryan Jensen like contract. Yeah. And brings me to the point. Should Fox be given more playing time? I absolutely say yes. However, I'm going to also let. Um, I'm also going to uh, take a sidestep from that and say that I'm also a homer. So um, I will root for Fox because of his Pueblo ties. So I might not necessarily be the most fair and balanced person to ask, but I definitely think he should be getting more playing time and get, being given more of an opportunity to earn a larger paycheck. But Faisal, you are a Rams fan with no ties to Pueblo, no ties to CSU Pueblo. What are your thoughts about Morgan Fox? 
Well, the fact that he was able to get inside, number one, okay, and disrupt that play. Um, we're just talking about that one play and the opportunities he has had with his playing time. I think he has made more of an impact than, uh, say, Greg Gaines, who when they put him in, when they take Donald out for a couple plays here and there, Greg Gaines doesn't do a damn thing. And I think they should be playing Fox over Greg Gaines every day of the week. So I am definitely in favor of giving him more playing time and putting him up there with uh, Brockers and uh, Donald. And, however, though, something that may prevent either Greg Gaines and Morgan Fox from getting more playing time is the fact that Ashawn Robinson, whom the Rams signed, uh, defensive lineman signed from the Detroit Lions this offseason, he didn't play all season, and now he's playing, and nobody knows why he hasn't been playing. But now they signed him to obviously have those starting minutes. But um, so he's back into like going into the game when he can. But I wouldn't play great games for a single play, to be honest. I want, I think Fox should have um, when they swing him in they, or the backups in, he should be given priority. And I definitely think once he's in there, he can make more of an impact because I haven't seen Greg Gaines do anything now in two years. So that's my uh, unbiased opinion on Morgan Fox and his ability to get more playing time. And if he does, okay, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say he can get that big contract like Ryan Jensen is uh, regular, you know, but um, he can maybe be a regular instead of uh, coming back as they signed him, um, as they cut him. And then I think they re-signed him to like a one-year deal. And there was a question if they were even going to bring back Fox. So I definitely think that, and that's my unbiased opinion there. Um, No, I I think that's a fair assessment. Um, Jensen had the opportunity in Baltimore to really prove himself. And he took everything that he could out of that system and he ran with it as hard as he could. And I'm proud of the kid for it. Um, But like you said, I think that Fox has done his best to um, make the most of his opportunities. And uh, I see him as a a rising star in the Rams defensive line, even if though he's not a starter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, I don't want to say rising star, but I think he can be, uh, an impact player to be, so I don't want to say maybe a regular, who knows, but when he's out there, like I said, he does something versus Greg Gaines. He's just like a warm body out there. Nothing uh, personal to you, Greg. But, um, you know, shifting to the Chargers, the Chargers finally got a win against the hapless Jets who are still winless. And I don't know if that's a telltale sign that they're going in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes and giving up on um, uh, Sam Donald. Isn't that his name? The quarterback of the Jets from USC? That is correct. Sam Darnold. Darnold. That's it. And, but what does that mean? Does that mean that Anthony Lynn couldn't fuck it up for the uh, Chargers to lose? Because uh, the Jets are winless. 
or that the Chargers are finally turning things around and maybe um, putting these gaps behind them to um, maybe, I don't want to say turn the season around, but get some wins here. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. It is the Jets, one of the worst teams in the league. Um, And we can go back from before the days of Anthony Lynn. And if there's anything that the Chargers, even in their days in San Diego, have been great at doing, it's giving away games in the fourth quarter. What was one of the, the games that solidified Peyton Manning in a Broncos uniform? It was his first game against the Chargers as a member of the Broncos when the, the Chargers were up 21-0 to zero and the Broncos came back and won that game. Um, I don't think that you necessarily blame Anthony Lynn. I think you blame the culture of this organization, and that comes down to the owner. Um, this has been happening for multiple coaches. This has been happening for years and years and years, no matter how much money um, they spend on players. This is a cultural issue. And yes, I, I agree that anybody out there who's rolling their eyes saying, well, a cultural issue also has something to do with the head coach. Um, there's also some things that the head coach uh, doesn't have a lot of access to. And what I mean by that is he can't necessarily always make the decisions about culture. Mm-hmm. And I so, agree with you because Spanos – I think is a horrible owner. I'm surprised that they signed uh, Joey Bosa to a contract extension, who I think may have some injury issues himself. And the whole cultural thing and goes back, yeah, way, way back in the day. And I think they were hiding that because uh, your boy, Philip Joan Rivers, um, had some talent but not enough to ever get them to the promised land. But you go back thinking about um, good players that may have had some wasted careers like uh, Ladinian Tomlinson or when they had Schottenheimer as coach and they were trying to put in some culture. I mean, I don't want to say Sean. I never really thought he was like the brightest guy or the smartest coach, but he did take them, uh, you know, I don't want to say like deep, but into the playoffs and they just had that, I can't remember his name, but the kicker just uh, like missed the kick at the end to lose the game. And they were like having a very good year. Um, it seems like something is always going wrong for the Chargers, just like something went wrong with Tyrod Taylor, uh, quarterback, having an opportunity to be the quarterback of the Chargers this year. But, um, you know, talking about quarterbacks of the Chargers, you got Ryan, uh, or excuse me, you got Justin Herbert in the game. He's the starter. He's the regular, and he's already thrown for 2,700 yards in nine games. What do you think about Herbert? I think that Herbert is building some great rapport with his tight ends. He's using them quite a bit. He has a great rapport with Hunter Henry. Um, he's not very good when it comes to screens. I don't know if you caught this game against the Jets, but he pretty much set up one of his running backs to get lit up for a big, big loss. Um, you know, he's, he's got a pretty good rapport with Keenan Allen. 
and he did have a uh, great um, deep bomb with, uh, I believe his name is Tyron Johnson. And that that led to a Hunter Henry TD. Um, But I think he's very predictable. I think that he relies on his tight ends a lot. Um, Luckily, he has a pretty good tight end in Hunter Henry. Um, But, uh, and he also has Mike Williams, and he also has um, Keenan Allen. But I I just, um, while I think that they, they have a pretty good connection between him and Hunter and him and Williams, I, I just think that if he had a lesser support, um, a lesser group of support, which is going to end up happening when he, you know, gets that non-rookie contract after he makes it through his rookie contract, I hope for the sake of the Chargers that he actually continues to improve and he doesn't have a Tua Tagovola, um type of performance where the Broncos really got Tua's number and they were able to shut him down and even get him benched. Yeah, and I think that's remarkable, number one, because that's who the Chargers wanted to draft is Tua Tagovailoa. And at the same time, you bring up Herbert relying on his tight ends too much. And I think that's partially because who does he have as weapons? He's got Keenan Allen, and he's got Hunter Henry. And Keenan Allen, uh, who the Chargers, like Bosa, Gave us an extension to, and I, I can't believe they gave uh, Keenan Allen a $20 million a year extension. I mean, I don't know what Sp- is Spanos actually trying now. And I, I you know, I, I think Herbert will get through this rookie contract as a starter the whole time. I don't know if he'll be benched. Who knows? It's still early, but um, I don't think he'll be benched necessarily like Tugavailoa had to be benched for uh, Ryan Fitzmagic. You know, maybe uh, Brian Flores down there in Miami was looking for magic uh, this last game because Tugavailoa was just uh, sucking it, you know. But um, but you have uh, Keenan Allen, you have Hunter Henry, you have Mike Williams, who only has 29 receptions on the year. And if you're looking at receivers, Allen has 81 receptions He's in, and he has 835 yards. And uh, for a tight end, Hunter Henry has 41 receptions of 435 yards. But after that, it drops off to Mike Williams at 29. And that guy you brought up, Tyron Johnson, who got the um, pass from Herbert, has only had three receptions this year and four targets. So it goes uh, back to who does he feel comfortable with? Allen and Henry. And as far as rushing is concerned – you got Josh Kelly, and is Josh Kelly doing much? He's not doing much in the backfield. So, and you have Austin Eckler also in the mix at rushing, and he's not doing much as well. So, it just goes back to you got a rookie quarterback. He may not be too confident. He's going with who he feels comfortable with. And obviously, Keenan Allen did break down, had a great game. Uh, last weekend against the Jets, but like you said, the Jets are horrible. Well, and you know, let's take a look at some of the other things that were going on with the Chargers. And what I mean by that is um, you have Herbert, who was having some growing pain issues, and he got sacked deep in Jets territory when they should have got a touchdown. They ended up settling for a field goal. Um, now, from a cultural standpoint, this is something that can be blamed on the coaching, and they allowed the Jets to block a punt. 
they also defensively allowed Frank Gore to just blow them up. I mean, how old is Frank Gore? I mean, I think he's older than some of the guys at the University of Miami who did the seventh floor crew. Um, he's meaning 37, he, I think. Yeah, he's almost as old as Tommy Cheetah. Um, <laughs> Kalen Bellage had a pretty good day, but I mean, that was against the Jets, just like you said. And um, there were multiple um, plays on the Chargers near the goal line to give Gore a TD, but the extra point was missed. Um, so, yeah, I just I think that there's a lot of stuff going on with the Chargers, and even with all the talent that they have, Joey Bosa, I mean, let's take a look at that defensive line. You've got Herbert, who's proven to be pretty good, but I think as you get more and more tape on him, he's going to start getting even more confused than Goff is when it comes to um, being able to read a defense. Well, you bring up a good point, but uh, the dude is still just a rookie. And if you remember, when Goff came in after nine weeks, he got sacked so many times and he was having his growing pains. But he had Jeff Fisher, who was using his dinosaur playbook uh, <laughs> when Goff came in. So, but um, as far as uh, Herbert, you know, or I mean, he does seem like he can be a long-term starter for them. However, uh, there are some issues there, and you have some of these, you know, like I said, only a couple guys that are really good weapons. But, um, you know, Keenan Allen even fumbled near the goal line, and you can't have your weapons making these gaffes, these mistakes. No, I, I definitely agree with you. But that's where it also comes down to not only culture from the perspective of the owner, but also, you know, coaching. So it goes back to your point where we can't, where I said earlier, we can't necessarily blame the coach. We have to blame the owner with things like fumbles um, or blocked punts. You do have to blame the coach for that. That's, that's part of the X's and O's that he, you know, no matter how bad the owner is, the coach still needs to be responsible for those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, when you have like a weak offensive or weaker offensive line, like the Chargers uh, have this year versus last year, you really got to be on point. So, but um, did you see the Raiders lose to the Chiefs? How they couldn't do laps around the Roomba in Cell Block Vegas after <laughs> losing to the Chiefs like they did in Arrowhead earlier in the season. What do you think about that? I think that is attributed to John Gruden's arrogance. Why were you doing the victory lap to begin with? You, your offense has looked really good. I mean, they were swinging back and forth with the Chiefs and you know keeping up with them. It really came down to who had possession last. So that's a good thing for the Raiders. But um, Gruden should be the leader of the team, not causing bulletin board material with that lap. Now, on the flip side for Gruden, I really didn't think he was going to be a successful coach. And there were some moves that he made where he was basically saying, I don't like Derek Carr, um, you know, for over the last couple of years. And Derek Carr was able to keep up with Patrick Mahomes blow for blow. And then there were trades of players like Mac to Chicago um, for multiple players. And it seems to me, you can agree or disagree, that defensively that are – 
on both sides of the ball, that trade is starting to show dividends. And, um, you know, it could be used against the Broncos in the same way. Von Miller is hurt yet again. And if you take a look at this uh, game against Miami, which is not necessarily a slouch of a team, but Malik Reed and Bradley Chubb had a great day to the point where Tua was benched. And uh, it kind of makes you think maybe the Broncos should have done the same thing with Von Miller that the Raiders did with Khalil Mack. Well, if you think that Drew Locke is the guy in Denver, you keep Von Miller. Nobody would have known that he would have gotten injured in this contract year, um, like when he got injured in practice. And uh, if you're thinking in the long term, like John Gruden was thinking in the long term, yes, you would have traded Von Miller. But the fact is, if you're sold on Drew Locke, which I think you are sold on Drew Locke as the quarterback of the Broncos, then you keep all your weapons because you're in the win-now mentality versus John Gruden came in in Oakland. Came when he came back to Oakland, uh, he punted on the season. I was like, okay, I'm going to trade these guys. I'm going to trade uh, uh, Mac to Chicago. I'm going to trade uh, Cooper to Dallas. Dallas. And then I'm going to build my stock of these draft picks. And then I'm going to go in a couple years, like when we move to Vegas. And that's, I think, exactly what he did. And it is paying dividends now. But, yeah, you're right. He was never sold on car, but he couldn't do any better. And if you don't have a number one pick – you can't get your new quarterback of the future. And at the same time, what did he do? He signed Marcus Mariota once the Titans didn't want him and they, you know, um, were going in a different direction. As, uh, and they, I don't think they paid him, um, you know, anything cheap. I think Mariota got a good deal to back up David uh, uh, Carr this year, or Derek Carr, excuse me. But at the same time, you have Carr – I don't want to say he's coming into his own, but he has these flashes of brilliance like the last time a few years ago when the Raiders actually um, made the playoffs, but of course didn't do anything there. Well, that also is attributed. I'm going to attribute that year to Billy Musgrave. Um, Billy Musgrave was the offensive coordinator, and I just feel like he and Carr um, had a great rapport. And if the Broncos a couple of years ago when Billy Musgrave was the offensive coordinator in Denver could have traded for Carr, I would have been very happy to see those two get back together because the numbers the car put up under Billy Musgrave were amazing. And the closest thing he's had to those numbers is this year. Yeah. And at the same time, you got to give Gruden credit with his offensive knowledge in the sense that he did keep car because he was like, I don't know about him uh, going out and getting Nathan Peterman. I don't know what that was all about. I think that was uh, just a ridiculous move because Peterman has sucked whenever he's been in the game, especially when he was with the Bills. But um, uh, he knew there was something there with Carr. And if he is the offensive guru like he claims to be and whatnot and what he was doing with these uh, quarterbacks' uh, draft specials when he was you know, a sports broadcaster – that he knew that there was something there. So, but the last couple of years, if you trade like a, a, a Cooper and if you trade a Mac, you know, you're, you're going more for down the road. And now since he still has them, uh, there's something there, which is maybe 
I don't know. I don't want to say I think that the Raiders can be anything or be significant in the playoffs if they actually keep this playoff position and make it. What do you think? Well, I also believe that uh, Gruden likes to collect quarterbacks. He likes to have a bunch of people he can say double-edged ZY banana to all the time. Um, If you go back to his days at Tampa Bay, when the Broncos drafted Jay Cutler, they already had a franchise quarterback in um, Jake the Snake. But they still cut Jake, and guess who – actually, they didn't cut him. They put it out there that they wanted to – they, well, no, they, Jake Plummer came from Arizona to Denver, and then the oh. Broncos traded uh, Jake to Gruden and the Bucks, and uh, Jake was like, I'm not going to play in Tampa and just retired. Crazy. Yeah, I forgot about that. So I'm and just saying Jake Cutler, it, does, it doesn't really matter. As long as you're a quarterback, you have a shot on a Gruden team is essentially what I'm saying because the guy just likes to collect them. He likes to have four or five of them around. Well, I think he thinks he's a good enough teacher to to think that if a guy can throw the fucking ball like 80-plus yards, that he can do something with him, you know? Otherwise, why would he have picked up Peterman? I mean, that was like, I mean, from any outsider looking in, it's like, what are you doing, John Gruden, by picking up Nathan Peterman? Well, that year with the Bucks, that was one of Gruden's last years with the Bucks. Um, I think when they picked up um, Plummer, they already had five other QBs on the roster at that particular point in time. So it's not unheard of for Gruden just to be like, you know, Oprah, okay, QB, you get a contract and you get a contract and you get a contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So last question for the NFL, Montoya. You have the Raiders at six and four as of this moment, and you have uh, they're in the last wild card position. But right on the outside looking in, you have Baltimore and Miami at six and four. Do the Raiders at this point make the playoffs in your opinion? No. And the only reason I say no is because of Baltimore. Baltimore is too good of a team to be looking up at anyone except for maybe Kansas City. So the fact that they're looking up at the Raiders right now, that is going to rectify itself. That team is too good defensively, and they have a pretty good offense. But uh, right now, um, I'm still not sold on Lamar. Um, the RPO system to me is exactly the same thing that you know the Broncos were essentially running with Tebow, and that didn't work. So I'm not necessarily sold on the uh, RPO being around in the NFL for a long time, but I definitely believe in Baltimore's defense. So I think that Baltimore will push the Raiders out of that last position. Okay, I agree with you there, but I want to say with the RPO, I think that's the run-pass offense is a secret weapon to have, especially if the man, Alex uh, Lamar, has um, any passing ability, which you know he does, compared to a Tebow who can pass the ball worth shit. So definitely with uh, the Ravens, uh doing what they did last year, even though they choked in the playoffs, and uh, Lamar winning the MVP last year, I definitely think they'll surpass the Raiders. What I question, though, is right above them, because the Raiders are just right above them because they have a better divisional record as of this moment, 
at three and one versus the Ravens being at two and one. But Cleveland is above the Raiders at in the wild card with uh, Tennessee. They're both at seven and three with um, Tennessee having a better divisional record. That's why they're right above Cleveland. And I am not sold on Cleveland at all. Okay, especially you have um, what? What is the cokehead Beckham? He's uh, he's he's out for the year. So, he's on IR. Yeah, he's on IR after his what Instagram post of him doing cocaine a couple years ago. But he's gone. No. I don't have faith in Jarvis Landry. I don't, I don't have either. faith in I don't have faith in Baker Mayfield. Uh, I Neither. think Kareem Hunt should not even be in the football or be in the NFL, not even be, play football after his, uh, you know, beating of women on, uh, on a video, ironically, in Cleveland. So, you know what? Um, I don't know if the Cleveland Browns, because they are the Cleveland Browns. This is a team who didn't win a game a couple years ago, but they did have Hugh Jackson as their coach, which uh, does contribute to that. But they're at 7-3. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Cleveland can, can last. What do you think about that? Well, it is 2020. It's the year of uh, things being completely out of whack. And, uh, you know, if you look at it from the numbers perspective, a team with as many first overall picks on it um, as the Cleveland Browns have, eventually has to win a few games. But I'm 100% with you in the fact that I believe that they they have no business. They're in over their head and they're going to collapse. And it's going to be like a meteorite that gets in the or, that gets in the orbit of Earth. It's just going to burn up here shortly. Um, there is one thing that I want to mention, though. And what is one thing that the current Cleveland Browns and the Kansas City Chiefs have in common? Do you give up? Kareem Hunt. Both play no. for them both. Well, Kareem Hunt is the key figure that uh, proves my point, but there's another person that they have in common, and it does give a little bit of legitimacy to where the Browns are today. Would you like me to tell you who that is? Their former GM. John Dorsey. That is correct. John Dorsey built the team that is the Chiefs now, and Andy Reid came in and fired him. And John Dorsey built the foundation of the Browns as they are today and even brought over Kareem Hunt. So could this be the Dorsey effect that is quickly going to right itself because it's Cleveland and they let him go? Perhaps, perhaps. I mean, you, you talk about foundations. If you build the foundation and with these key, you know, draft picks and, um, uh, rebuilding the Cleveland secondary a couple years ago. But even though he's not there now, yeah, I definitely think it is the Dorsey effect in both Kansas City and Cleveland. However, I still don't think the Browns – I think there will be something to make them be on the outside looking in because they're at 7-3 seven, three, seven three right now. You have Baltimore – um, you have uh, Las Vegas look, you know, or a six and four um, in just a couple weeks. They Cleveland can be out of the playoff picture, not even in the wild card race. So, um, but right now they're in it. So we'll see. Time will tell. But I definitely give you credit on the Dorsey effect. Well, here's the other question: 
Do you remember a, a horror movie from the eighties called Pet Cemetery? Yes. Written and you by know Stephen how? King. Yes. And what was the biggest theme about something like that? Is you don't resurrect something back from the dead. And what happened to the original Cleveland Browns? They are now the Baltimore Ravens, and they're experiencing some success. And then you have the Pet Cemetery version, the team that's currently in Cleveland right now. And uh, it's the John Dorsey effect did reverse the Pet Cemetery effect, but I think the Pet Cemetery effect is going to win in the long run. So I agree with you. I like that analogy, Montoya, the Pet Cemetery effect. Got to remember <laughs> that one. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the NBA, it finally had its draft for the 2020-2021 season that will start in December. As of this moment, the plan is for teams to play in their home arenas. Adam, douchebag, Jersey ad, loving silver, who drives an hour and 15 minutes to the nearest Love's truck stop to eat crappy food that's fitting for him since he allowed Jersey ads, thinks that teams can play in their home arenas versus having a bubble again. It's a lot cheaper, too. They paid $150 million to house the bubble in Orlando. Is he saying that players can get the virus now? Is that okay? Because the league shut down early in the pandemic with not many cases in the U.S., and the league resuming with a strict bubble in Orlando to prevent anyone from getting the virus. We've seen a lot of players get the virus in the NFL, and some got it in MLB. Is the douchebag Jersey I Love and Commissioner playing Russian roulette with the players by having them play in their indoor home arenas? The T-Wolves drafted Anthony Edwards, number one, and the Warriors drafted James Wiseman, number two. Why did LaMelo Ball fall number three to the Charlotte Hornets? Did LeVar have anything to do with that? Did he not stay in his lane and disrupt LaMelo's draft position, who was viewed to be the most talented supposed number one pick? NBA experts are saying the Lakers won NBA free agency. So does that mean they're in position to repeat? Toya, what are your thoughts on LaMelo Ball being picked number three overall and not number one. Well, I'm going to agree with you 100% and say he can blame Daddy for that because it just seems to me like um, Daddy can't seem to allow his kids to do anything without him being part of the limelight. And it's absolutely asinine that this guy can't figure it out. You know, the fact that he went number three definitely indicates that, Montoya. I agree with you, okay? However, the knock on the mellow was, number one, he did not play college ball. He first had to play overseas in, uh, I don't know, was it Lithuania or something, in a second-rate league. It wasn't even their best pro league over there. And I don't even know if it was Lithuania, to be honest, but the fact is, number one, he didn't play college ball. Number two, okay, he did play uh, in, I think, Australia after that. But the fact is, he has a good playmaking ability, but the knock on him is his shooting ability, okay? But who owns the Charlotte Hornets? Michael Jordan. And, you know, as although Jordan has had a lot of 
failure as an executive and an owner in the NBA, the man is second to Kobe Bryant as far as the most talented player in NBA history. So you have to think the guy knows something that LaMelo being 6'6", having playmaking abilities, taller than Lonzo, uh, as you know, uh, a teenager has abilities to grow. And I think Jordan sees that because Jordan did play, what, two or three years of college ball. I think it was three. And so he knows this kid is not going to be a kid in a couple years. This kid is going to be stronger and grow into that frame and, and, and have a lot more uh, you know, strength going forward. So shooting is a concern. Playmaking ability is not. But you just give the guy – some time on the NBA court, I think this kid out of Chino Hills will be something in the NBA. And the fact that the other teams didn't want to take him, number one, uh, or number two, definitely daddy did have something to do with it because, you know what? Going back to when Lonzo was with the Lakers, LeVar was just a headache. And, and you said it, he was just, he wanted the limelight. And I, although he's been quiet, it's just been, maybe he's been quiet out of LA, LA media and we haven't seen what he's been doing as much as um, with Lonzo being in New Orleans. So, you know what? I definitely think that has something to do with it. And if you're talking about the Timberwolves drafting Anthony Edwards at number one, they said he wasn't going to be a true number one pick. The kid is a shooting guard, 6'3". There was a question about him, even if he wanted to uh, be a star in the NBA, and now he's saying he wants to be a star in the NBA and, and his drive and all of that. And this kid number who went number two to um, the Warriors, James Wiseman, okay, you know, this kid is a center, and this kid is 19 years old. And you had a couple of centers picked surprisingly high in the lottery at age 19 when, you know what, it seems like, well, I thought the NBA is going more small ball. And if they're going more small ball, then why are these kids being drafted so high? And then you even have, you know, the Nuggets. Who did they pick up? They picked up another center um, to maybe back up. Um, the convict looking spawn looking uh, King Kong Bundy and Ivan Drago Jokic and what does that say does that mean that the Nuggets think Jokic is going to be leaving or do they think that kid can be on the floor with the Jokic at the same time because I mean these kids if they're 19 look at uh, DeAndre Eaton in Phoenix he has been in the league a couple years and he is they're hoping he will come into his zone this year. Um, I think you're talking about um, R.J. Hampton. R.J. Hampton? I believe that is his name. For the Bucks. No, yes. No, that, that's for Denver. That's for Denver. Oh, okay. So the Bucks drafted R.J. Hampton, reportedly trading – he was traded to – the Nuggets. At the same time, the Nuggets drafted Zeke Naji 
Yes. Who's also a center. He's 6'11 out of Arizona. And um, and Hampton, okay, is a center as well, reportedly being dealt after first being dealt to the Pelicans. So Hampton is a point guard at 6'5. So he is out of New Zealand, believe it or not. And he's also a 19-year-old, just like uh, Najee is a 19-year-old center. So you know what? I mean, I don't know. You know I, I believe I believe last year <coughs> that the Nuggets also had Manute Bull's son um, as a center. Um, so I think the Nuggets are kind of like John Gruden and the fact that they like to have a few centers around. Um, just based off off of the fact that, you know, um, the convict tends to get hurt periodically. We'll see what happens after his COVID experience now that he's put on a little bit of weight. But traditionally, he is not someone who uh, does all that well um, in terms of not allowing himself to uh, um, get injured. He it seems to me like his conditioning and other things have happened that have made him miss time. And this is just the nuggets going in and doing what the nuggets need to do in terms of having an insurance policy or a couple of them in case something happens to Jokic. Well, and also I think the nuggets were worried about their depth in the five position with how they got handed uh, by the Lakers in the playoffs this past season. However, I don't think having Bull Bull, who is 21, and a 19-year-old kid, Naji do anything to Anthony Davis if Jokic goes down with an injury or with foul trouble. So, but, um, you know... So, but this kid Hampton looks like he's going to be an interesting prospect, but I mean, is, is that what the Nuggets need? Prospects. They got a couple more prospects. Uh, we've talked before, maybe that the Nuggets need to get a, a third star, you know, but um, who knows if that, if these young kids can help them get over the hump with the Clippers and Lakers, However, you got to look at the Clippers and looking at them as being weaker than the Lakers who have tried to get stronger after winning the title. Well, again, the Nuggets have been good at trying to make something happen, but they haven't been real good about actually making it happen. And what I mean by that is I'm – They've invested, they've invested. They're kind of like the Chargers in the fact that they just can't quite get over the hump. Um, and it's ironic because who is it that actually owns the Nuggets? But the guy who shares a stadium with the uh, Chargers. Cronky, yeah. And, and um, you know, no offense to Colorado or anything, but, you know, you have – Denver is not your destination city where these athletes like to play. They like to play well, in LA, at least for Miami, bas- at least- New York, you know? Yeah. At least for basketball, but uh, you're talking about the NBA players, which are, I mean, different um, than I guess the NFL players. You just want to go anywhere where you can win, have a chance to win. 
Whereas these NBA players, they want to, they're talking about thinking about like rap deals and movie opportunities and, <laughs> and warm weather cities and all that, you know? Um, and look at JaVale McGee. He was a former nugget whom the Lakers traded after he opted into his contract for the season. Um, he has an asthma problem and I think that hampered him while he was in Denver because of the thin air. Definitely agree. So you have that, I mean, to, to deal with as well, you know, and plus when you're running a mile high, you get tired faster than when you're at sea level. Right. I mean, that's, that's just science. That's, I mean, that's not fiction like a Trump conspiracy. <laughs> no, I'm going to agree with you on that. Uh huh. But, um, why, Montoya, why haven't the Lakers signed Anthony Davis to a contract extension yet? Honestly, I, I don't know. I don't see a logical reason as to why they haven't. Um, they should be getting very aggressive. And if there's anybody that they need to re-sign, it would be Anthony Davis. Well, it's been reported Anthony Davis wants to wait till Thanksgiving and maybe by the next podcast – We'll, have, we'll see Anthony Davis inking a new deal with the Lakers that he wants to do a short wait after Thanksgiving and maybe um, uh, see what the Lakers roster moves are going to be. But uh, experts have said, like, uh, you know, in the NBA, Sham Shardania, that the Lakers have won NBA free agency. So if the NBA, uh, Lakers won NBA free agency by signing Mark Gasol from the Raptors, by signing Montrezl Harrell from the Clippers, does that mean a, a Lakers signing of Anthony Davis is imminent? I'm hoping so. But as with anything, the more you try to guarantee that something's going to happen, the more you should hold your breath, the more you shouldn't hold your breath. Okay, so let me ask you then this, Montoya. The fact uh, that the Lakers can pay him the most money and with the athletes, it's always about show me the money, right? So does that mean Davis, if, okay, we assume he signs, uh, he's supposedly thinking if he's going to sign the max for four years or two years with uh, uh, an option for two years or uh, a contract for next year with an option for the year after that. What should Anthony Davis do for getting the most money? Should he sign a one-year deal and then opt out and then keep signing new deals so he can keep getting more money like LeBron used to do when he returned to Cleveland? Or should he go with the security because he's a lanky uh, a, uh, athlete who's vulnerable to injury like he's missed time in years past with the New Orleans Pelicans. I think that uh, right now he's a very hot commodity. He's a big deal. He's a big part of what the Lakers do. And um, I think he's just looking to have a couple of other teams come out make him some offers to really stress the Lakers and get a little bit more money out of the Lakers. I don't foresee him really wanting to leave LA. So I think he's just trying to leverage whatever he can. 
Well, I agree with you in the fact that he um, is trying to leverage as much as he can. I think he's going to get the max deal no matter what. Um, I just think it's a matter of if it's going to be a year, if it's going to be two years, and then how many option years are going to be attached to it. Try to opt out and get more money like LeBron used to do with the Cavs and how Kawhi Leonard arranged his deal with the Clippers once he signed with them last year. But um, um, but the Lakers, besides signing Marcus Gasol and Montrezl Harrell, they picked up former Lakers son Wesley Matthews, who has the same name, Wesley Matthews, as his father. Contavious Caldwell Pope also re-signed with the Lakers. So... I guess some of these guys are saying that Lakers won free agency because they got Gasol, they got Harrell, they got Matthews, they re-signed KCP. But you know who they lost? Rondo. Well, losing Rajon Rondo, the friendly turncoat from Boston, who dubs himself Playoff Rondo, who had a good, amazing playoff performance to help the Lakers win the title. Well, that hurt the Lakers because he signed with the Atlanta Hawks for two years and $15 million. I think it hurts them more than losing Boogie Cousins does. Um, So I, I think there's a leadership perspective that he brings that will be missed from the locker room. Um, holding people accountable, having the street cred to actually hold some of these guys who have more talent than you accountable. Um, I, I definitely think a leadership, I think from a leadership perspective, he is definitely going to have, his loss is going to have a big impact. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think it will have a big impact, especially come playoffs, because, you know, the knock against Rondo is his shooting ability, but in the playoffs, the man made some good shots and some some threes to boot. But what that means to me, Montoya, is guess who's going to get more playing time in the backcourt? Who's that? Alex Caruso. Oh. Ho, 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 ho. So I, for one, I am very high on Alex Caruso. And guess who opted out of his deal, who may not be coming back to L.A., is Avery Bradley. So with Rondo gone, with Bradley probably gone, who do you have in the backcourt now? You have KCP and Alex Caruso. So I definitely think Alex Caruso is going to be getting more playing time and I don't see anything wrong with that. What do you think about Marcus Saul? You know, to be honest, okay, I I think they signed him because he has some shooting ability and he's a center. Okay. They and let- his last name his last name is a Lakers legacy. Yes. And you know they traded the rights to Mark Gasol to the Grizzlies to get Pau Gasol. Do you remember that? I so, do. So the fact that they, they, uh, um, there is a family connection, 
He was originally drafted by the Lakers. Okay, now he's going to play for the Lakers. He can shoot. He has the European style of uh, uh, NBA play that um, is very Jokic. important, like Jokic, to be able to shoot and to shoot the three, like Jokic, and to be able to guard Jokic. Because, you know, who is able to guard Jokic very well is the man you do not like at all, and I'm sure you won't miss at all, is Dwight Coward. <laughs> <laughs> Three plus nine equals twelve. Who left for, for Philadelphia Philadelphia seventy sixers? You know because he has no outside game, but the man can fucking block shots, just like Javale McGee could block shots. But he's gone, and they're both gone. I don't know about Marcus All's uh, defensive ability compared to McGee and Howard, especially. And um, Howard is stronger than all of them. And I think he really disrupted Jokic's play in the playoffs this past year. So with Marcus Gasol, um, you know, I think that may mean that they're going to use Anthony Davis more at the five late in the game, especially to guard people like Jokic. Actually, I have a theory about that myself. And let's take a look at Gasol. I realize that he's kind of the same body type and everything as Jokic. But I actually think that that lighter frame versus a Dwight Coward and somebody who's very similar in stature to Jokic is actually the best person to, to guard Jokic. Um, a lot of people are going to say I'm crazy, but I think once we get into the season, I think that's going to be what Gasol's, um is going to end up doing when they play Denver. Yeah. Let's just see if it helps, you know. But... Um... But did you see the whole Dwight Howard tweeting that he was coming back to the Lakers and then he immediately deleted that tweet and then signed with the Sixers? I did not hear about that. Yeah. So he deleted a tweet immediately after tweeting it saying, I'm coming back to the Lakers. And then he went and signed with the Sixers for $2.6 million. And uh, I guess he just wanted a deal, but the Lakers were just saying something to the fact that what uh, they offered him was a deal concept, but a, not an actual contract. And I think that pissed off Howard because he signed a contract with the Sixers right after. So what does that mean? You say, I know you probably are saying good riddance to Dwight <laughs> Howard, but do you think the, that he could have ha, ha, contributed value to the Lakers by returning? And is, are they going to miss him in his depth on the bench because he came off the bench willingly and had provided good defense for the Lakers, uh, helping them to win a title this past year? Um, I definitely think that there's one aspect of losing Dwight Coward that could come back to haunt the Lakers at playoff time. And that is when they play the Nuggets. They need, they need someone like a Marcus Saul to actually be able to replicate what Dwight was able to do against Jokic and shut him down. Because if they can't, they're going to have their hands full with this Nuggets team or um, even a Clippers team. Yeah. Well, they are going to have their hands full because the man. Howard can block shots. Um, now, 
Markeith Morris also re-signed with the Lakers. And Marcus Morris re-signed with the Clippers. Now, Marcus Morris got $64 million from the Clippers. Okay. And um, Markeith... He got a one-year deal for the minimum. Was that it? A one-year deal? In my research, it looked like Markeith got a minimum one-year deal. So what does that tell you? Did the Lakers do good by bringing back Markeith? Because, you know, Markeith did have a couple, like, uh, gaps in the playoffs. But Marcus got $64 million. So, what does that tell you? Because he got, when he came to the Lakers, he signed for 1.75. But from what I saw, the Lakers did not disclose terms of Markeith's deal. So, what does that tell you? that he just doesn't want people to know he got less money than his brother. Um, and was that a good move for both teams, signing the Morris Twins, respectively, Clippers and Lakers? Well, I think in the case of the Lakers, um, Markeith did he did uh, assist in winning the title. Um, he wasn't necessarily a key player, but he did play his role. He's got chemistry with all of these players. And the fact that they were able to sign him cheaply, it's a win-win, I think, in the case of not only the Lakers, but for Markeith and that he gets some stability. He gets stability and a chance to give another ring, but his brother got $64 million and he got the veteran minimum. I mean, shit, you know, like, I think, uh, I think, uh, I don't know. I like well, their... if there had been something else out there for him, he would have taken it. So this is an opportunity for him to put up or shut up. He's getting an opportunity some people never get, and that's just an opportunity to showcase what he has when he gets playing time. He's not going to the developmental league or anything like that. He's still playing in the NBA, and he's getting an opportunity, which not everybody does. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, good point there. You know, the, the Lakers may be a little thin at the point. Okay, like I said, with uh, Alex Caruso, and you have uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who's traditionally a two-guard, but with LeBron handling, and I don't know, is he still going to handle the point guard duties at age 38? I think is something to look for, you know? But Well, then where, where does LeBron move to? Is he going to take over the center duties? Is that why it was they were so easy? they could so easily get rid of Dwight Howard because they feel LeBron is going to take over that position and he's going to be able to guard people like Jokic. He's traditionally a small forward, a three, but, um, but the, he was like the point, a point forward last year and he led the league in assists, but he's going to be 38 years old and he, this could be his last year of his deal unless he opts in for the year, the next year. So, um, and the Lakers cut, Quinn Cook, who I'm not going to miss at all, to be honest. But 
Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the question, will losing Rondo hurt the Lakers by not having that veteran depth? I definitely think it will. I, I'm just Not just the depth, I just think that the leadership that Rondo brings is going to be very, very hard to replace, even with players like Gasol. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the fact that they're also, they have not signed Jared Dudley again, I don't think they will because they got Wesley Matthews so who plays the same position but do you think the Lakers should uh should bring Dudley back for the 12th man role? Um I definitely think that they should bring Dudley back. Um but again it's it's going to come down to playing time and um, who's going to contribute more? Is it going to be someone on the edge like Dudley, or is it going to be someone, you know, of, of edge veteran like Markeith Morris? Yeah, well, they didn't play Dudley much, if at all, during the playoffs. So, yeah, whereas Morris, by signing a minimum deal, if it is a minimum deal, which we all think it is because the Lakers didn't disclose it, he was contributing in the playoffs and he was in the rotation. And he did have some gaps, but he did show that he can um, defend. But um, the whole thing is you're losing a couple big guys with McGee and Howard who can not only defend, they can block. And, and that is what I'm really concerned about because they may be asking Davis to do too much in the middle when Davis – doesn't like playing center. He likes playing the power forward. Well, we'll so, see what happens. We, we'll we will see. definitely see. And maybe that is playing a role in, in, into why Davis hasn't signed. Honestly, I don't think so. I just think he's thinking about if he's going to do a one-and-one one or a two-and-one or whatever. So he can opt out and cash in again when, if and when the cap expands and the max contracts uh, expand as well. But, uh, but at any rate, what do you think? Do some who's better? Let's do the who's better. All right, Montoya. Finally. We're going to do our Who's Better segment where we decide the better L.A. player. So, Toya, who's the better L.A. wide receiver, Cooper Cup or Robert Woods of the L.A. Rams? I'm going to say it's Cooper Cup. And again, it's like I said in an earlier segment, he is the more precise route runner. He's the player that you depend on more on third down to get you a first down. He's the player who can break that three yard pass for 50 yards. We saw that this last weekend. I believe that Cooper cup, if Cooper cup were to go down with an injury, he would have more of a long-term detrimental effect on the Rams than woods. What do you think? Okay. Number one, I agree with you. Cooper cup is the better receiver. And yes, I agree with you that he is the better route runner. The whole point you also brought up earlier is the yards after catch. The man can do something once he has the ball and he does these moves. He can twist, 
He can juke. He he does the stiff arm. Uh, he's strong. He's stronger than Woods. And uh, but you know what? I'm worried about his durability long term. Uh, when you I'm a, got, I agree with you. Yeah, he's already suffered a devastating knee injury, but he's proven he's come back from it. His torn ACL. Woods has been consistent player his whole career as far as being on the field, playing. Woods has shown he can catch the long ball, although Goff has not thrown it much as, uh, as much as I would have liked or I would like him to this season compared to previous seasons. Um, Woods has the local connection and went to USC. But as far as the difference maker, you as far uh, you throw more of those short routes, passes frequently than these medium to long range passes, and that, I think that's just standard in the NFL. So uh, for that reason, I'm going to go with Cooper Cup. However, you know, you you brought up a, a point I'd like to jump on before you make your final point, and I agree with you in the fact that maybe we we question his durability a little bit but i think that he has more brandon stokely in him than he has wes wilker so what i mean by that is stokely didn't get hurt a lot and he but he did get hurt a few times and i definitely think that he's more brandon stokely than wes wilker but anyway go ahead and finish yeah well well stokely took some hits and I mean, I don't know if that's a knack for Cooper Cup as far as him, you know, being in the slot and uh, not getting like these vicious hits. But maybe that's just a sign of the times that they're not allowing these hits anymore and that they're they're heavily penalizing these uh, players financially with uh, these hits. And I don't even know if Fonte's perfect is even in the league anymore because of uh, his, you know, notorious uh, reputation for these devastating hits. Um, the point I was going to make though, with uh, Woods and cup is Woods does have that durability. And, and it seems like, you know what, um, when McVay does these uh, jet sweep plays and has like uh, either Woods or cup, uh, take the ball from Goff in the backfield, like a running back. Um, I think Woods has had more success with that because he's faster. But Cup is a difference maker because of his strength. He's stronger and he does the stiff arm and he can juke very well. And that's why I'm saying Cooper Cup does win this podcast version of the who's better segment for the better la player you know this is the first who's better that was two teammates and you know it wasn't just uh we're looking at uh wide receivers for the chargers versus the rams this was the first intra-squad who's better um i like it i think we need to do it more i think uh we should do the same thing with the chargers next week and compare um mike williams and uh keenan allen yeah that's a good that that could be a good discussion although that may be a very short one for um, <laughs> you know not to give uh my thoughts away right now for next week but um yeah 
definitely, I think that could be a good one because, um, you know, Williams was uh, supposed to have all this potential. We could go there next week. But uh, any final thoughts, Montoya? I just want to say, after four years of terror, I'm glad that there is a new tenant about to move into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. But no matter how out of reality we can all appear to be to each other, let's get over some of this division. Let's get over um, arguing fact versus unprovable fact. Let's actually put some time into seeing and researching what is actually a fact and what is not. And let's put in legit research. I'm not talking about screenshots from Instagram, but actually reading something and verifying that it is actually correct before you share it on social media or before you just say it out loud. Um, we, if there's anything that we've learned over the last four years, there's a lot of opportunity for misinformation and it's even gotten to the point where certain groups have made up their own, um, social media, uh, platforms like parlor. We don't need people running away from facts. We need people actually embracing facts, regardless of whether they like them or not. And, um, I just wanted to say that at this point because there is change coming and as a society we need to capitalize it on it as much as we can you know what amen montoya <clears throat> amen to that and let's all be all about <clears throat> unity and not division and uh, if people want to believe fiction then more power to them we do have you know um we do have uh, freedom here in this country, and that's the beautiful thing about that. But uh, amen to everything you said. I agree with you. And it's you can believe whatever you want. I'm not trying to say people shouldn't believe what they want to believe. I just, just don't get upset when somebody tells you that's not factual, and they're actually willing to do the work and show you that they actually did the work. And you know, you just don't want to accept that what you believe is not factual. That's actually well, the biggest divide that I think is happening in this country right now is people refuse to look at the actual research and the actual facts and just want to have a fit like they're three years old and say, no, I'm right. I'm right. And I don't care what you have to say. And that is where I'm challenging people to get out of that mentality of, well, it's on Instagram, it must be true. No, I'm going to take it upon myself and actually research this ins Instagram post and not just take it as being true because it's on Instagram. And that's the point I'm trying to make. You know what? I agree with you. Truth is truth. You, people can believe what they want to believe, but if it's not the truth, it's fake. So amen to that. And let's hope, you know, we get back to just focusing on the positive things these next four years about being American and not being this or that or believing any anything that is presented to you that you want to believe. So that's it for today, everyone. Thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you have a question you'd like B, Toya, and me to discuss... Please let us know and give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at LASportsRT1. Until next time, take care.